Turn in your Bibles, please, to the New Testament reading from Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, We're looking this morning at uh, growing through suffering, how we can prosper under God's fatherly discipline. (coughs) Suffering. Suffering is anything which hurts us or even irritates us. In the design of God, it's also something to make us think. It's a tool God uses uh, to get our attention and also to accomplish uh, in our lives things that would not be accomplished any other way. So it may be a cancer, a sore throat, maybe uh, an illness, or the loss of someone who's close to you. Uh, Maybe a a personal failure or disappointment in your job or school, place of work. Uh, It may be uh, suffering caused by a rumor that's circulating in your office or in your street, damaging your reputation, bringing you grief and anxiety. Uh, It can be anything uh, that ranges from something as as small and as uh, unchallenging as a noisy neighbor. Uh, to a life-threatening car crash. All of these things uh, are under the heading of suffering. And for uh, most of us, the problem is not that there's suffering there, but the problem is that sometimes it seems kind of irrational experience. The the question is, why? Why is there uh, this suffering? Why is it happening to me? And as far as the Hebrew Christians are, who are being addressed in the letter, people who come from a Jewish faith into the Christian walk, uh, the suffering that they're experiencing is uh, persecution because they were Christians. In the early days of the church, there was horrendous persecution against Christians. If you uh, were to decide to follow Jesus Christ, then uh, you could well be facing death. You could be uh, given uh, into the uh, the Colosseum to, to be torn apart by lions uh, if you were a Christian. Uh, they had suffered opposition early on, um, and when you read the, the letter to the Hebrews, the suggestion is that they had come under persecution from the people they had left behind. Uh, it was the Jews who hadn't become Christians who were jealous of them and who were giving them a hard time. And uh, they had suffered all kinds of things. We're told that they had suffered persecution, the confiscation of their property, and so on. Some of them had ended up in jail. But in the early times of their persecution, they had been able to understand what was going on. It had been clear to them that they were suffering because they were Christians, and they put up with it well. They were able to contend with that. But the problem now, uh, as Paul is speaking to them in chapter 12, is that they're no longer understanding the why of their suffering. And they're tempted to give up under the pressure of their suffering. Now this morning, what we're going to do in the sermon is we're going to be thinking about the fact that for God's people, all kinds of suffering is given by a loving Father uh, and who is able to use our suffering for productive purposes, for a positive, a loving, and caring purpose in our lives. We're going to look at uh, a number of issues. First of all, we're going to ask the question, who is this comfort for? 
And then secondly, how is it that you could maybe waste your suffering? Thirdly, uh, how do you go about so as to gain from the suffering you're called to go through? And then we're going to look at the purpose of suffering in God's children, what it is there to produce. So first of all, the question is, we're thinking about comfort that God gives to us when we're going through hard times. Who is the promise for? Who is comfort promised for uh, in God's word? Uh, and the thing is that this is not a, a universal truth. It's not the kind of thing that you would find in uh, a Hallmark uh, card, you know, uh, thinking of you, but remember, everything turns out uh, for the best in the end. Well, people may say that. People may have all kinds of fluffy uh, sayings that they say uh, to people when they're going through uh, difficult stuff. But are these things true? The Bible says that our trials and sufferings uh, will work out for our good if we are God's children. And that's a big uh, thing uh, to, to watch out for. Uh, it's true for the lives of those who are God's children. Sometimes even, uh, hard things point out the fact that people weren't actually Christians at all. Uh, the way people respond to, to hardships can sometimes show that they've never really had true faith in their lives. And it's not uncommon uh, in the church to hear somebody announce that they've become a Christian and they're following Christ and they come to church and then after a while, they're gone. They've disappeared. And the reason when you uh, look into it is that something difficult came along and they just gave up under the pressure of this hardship. And Jesus, in his parable of the soil, said that that's uh, like seed that falls on uh, ground which is choked up uh, <coughs> because it's in a, a, a place that uh, has got thin, uh, rocky soil. They believe uh, for a time but in the time of testing, they fall away. So, uh, the message from the Word uh, is that to benefit from all of God's fatherly care, we need to become, we need to be sure that we are children of God. What's a child of God? A child of God is a Christian. A child of God is someone who has believed in Jesus. A child of God is somebody who uh, came to that point when they said to, to, to God, God, I can't get to heaven by trying. Uh, I'm not good enough, and I know that I need forgiveness. Lord, forgive my sins and be my master. Uh, when we uh, trust ourselves to Christ in that way, we're brought into the family of God. And it's then, when we know that we're children of God, that we can claim the promises uh, of God, that our trials, our sufferings, uh, are being used by God uh, for our good. And for all of us who are children of God, who have made that, that step to trust in Jesus, then there is this promise uh, that we have a Heavenly Father who is disciplining us, and He is disciplining us for our good. 
And the great example that we have is our elder brother, Jesus. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus uh, was given discipline by God his Father also. And in a remarkable way, uh, Hebrews tells us earlier on uh, that suffering was given by the Father to bring on a kind of maturation in Jesus' humanity. Remember, Jesus was, was without sin, so the trials that Jesus suffered weren't, uh, as they are with us, because he had sinned and needed correction, but they were, as it were, building up a spiritual strength in his humanity. Jesus had holiness and human form, and so it was necessary for him to go through hardships. Uh, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer, the first one, that's Jesus, of our salvation, perfect through what he suffered. And so, uh, at Hebrews 2.10, Jesus is like a template. He's a model of what it is to be a child of God. He is the Son of God. This was his experience. He suffered so that the Father might bring about good in his life. We will suffer and go through hard stuff if we are children. Why would we expect an easier life than Jesus, our elder brother? If he had to suffer then, so will we. So, the first point to take away is that to know all the comfort we're going to speak about, we need to be sure that we're in the family. We need to be trusting in Jesus. We need to have committed our way to him. And if you haven't done that, let me urge you to do that, to trust Jesus as your Savior, to make sure that you're right with God, that your sins are forgiven, that he is your Father in heaven, and that you look to Jesus as your, your elder brother. Second, <coughs> second point is that you can waste your suffering. That seems a strange thing to say. But if suffering is there for a, a good purpose, then you could miss out on a good purpose. And there are two ways we can do that, and uh, we're, warned, we're warned of that in the passage. Uh, we can make light of the Lord's discipline. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. How do you make light of the Lord's discipline? Well, you could say to yourself, oh, I'm just looking through this, this bad stuff that's going on in my life. I just need to grit my teeth. I need to hold myself together. The worst thing that could happen in this is I could fall to pieces, make a fool of myself. I've just, just got to get through this. Friends, that is making light of the Lord's discipline because the worst thing that could happen is not that you go to pieces. The worst thing that could happen is that you fail to learn what God is teaching you in the hard time. Uh, the trials that God gives you are not simply to, to, to go through. They are there to grow through. And we won't grow through trials unless uh, we are trying to learn the lessons uh, from them. Sometimes I think uh, it's easier for us to, to learn the lesson in the 
they stopped, you know, the, 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 the major issues. And maybe we're not as good at learning in the Kinsvah the more minor ones, you know, the, the frustrations of getting stuck in a traffic jam at NH where you're trying to get uh, to a meeting in time. Or that low-grade flu that just makes you pretty miserable when you've got so much to do. And we try to get through these things without wondering, what is God actually teaching me? What way am I learning patience and resignation to God's will in that traffic jam when there's nothing moving? The other way, of course, that we can waste our suffering is to lose heart when he rebukes us. God's discipline is sometimes very, very severe. Uh, in verse 6, <coughs> when it says he punishes everyone he accepts as a son, literally, he scourges everyone. Now, scourging, when you scourge somebody, you had a whip. And so, this is, this is extreme discipline, uh, using a scourge to inflict pain. And sometimes that is what God does in our experience. He scourges us. And at the, yet at the same time, uh, it's given in love. And to, to lose heart is to fail to see the, the fatherly uh, design in our sufferings. And when you lose heart, you give way to a bitterness of spirit. And you start to say, ah, poor me. Poor old me. Why is God doing this to me? God is punishing me because he hates me. Well, that is never true. God never scourges us because he hates us. But that is what the devil would want us to believe. Uh, the Greek word for discipline uh, means child training. God's bringing us up. Every parent ought to discipline their children. And that discipline is, is sometimes painful. It's intended to be painful for their good. Now, if we lose sight of our father's heart in our trials, then we will lose heart. We'll give up. I met with a, a, a dear brother in the Lord recently uh, who had been going through really difficult uh, trials, deep affliction. And he shared a, a valuable lesson that I want to share with you now. And the lesson was that when, uh, when he was feeling lowest, he recognized that there was a, a, a spiritual temptation going on in which the devil was actually uh, trying to persuade him that he couldn't go to God the Father. He couldn't go to God his Father, that the only one he cared was Jesus. Characteristically, tries to do. He tries to make out that uh, the Father is actually unloving and makes this division within the Trinity, setting Jesus against the Father. And of course, if we don't believe the Father is loving, we wouldn't be able to bear up under our trials. What was the breakthrough? The breakthrough for him was John 16, 26, and 27. Jesus speaking about uh, the future trials that the disciples will go through, said, In that day you will ask in my name, 
I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No. The Father himself loves you. That was a shaft of light. The Father himself loves you. Friends, uh, in your trials, you need to remember that truth. The Father himself loves you. God the Father has not stopped loving you because circumstances are bad. It's not just Jesus who loves you and the Father has gone against you and is punishing you because he hates you. That's a lie of the devil. A lie which has been going on since the Garden of Eden. Your Father loves you. Well, these are two ways that you can waste your suffering. You can make light of it by simply trying to grit your teeth and get through it. You can uh, collapse under it. Uh, you can lose heart. Well, how are you going to gain from the, the, the hardships that are sent our way? The first thing that the, the writer to the Hebrews tells us is that we're to recognize suffering as evidence of your sonship and endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then your illegitimate children are not true sons. That's striking, isn't it? Uh, he's saying the mark of a true child is someone who receives discipline. And the, the logic was this, that if, if a father had... Uh, an estate he wanted to pass on and, uh, and he had, there was an illegitimate son in the, in the household uh, who was never going to inherit and then there was the, 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 uh, the rightful legitimate son who was going to inherit the father focused all his attention on the one who would inherit uh, he wanted to make sure his character was shaped he wasn't going to let him off without discipline so that he, he grew up to be you know, a, a waster somebody that would blow the family fortune. Uh, in loving fatherly care, he devoted himself to discipline the true child. And so discipline is, after all, a badge, a mark of being a true child. As I say, it's counterintuitive, because when things go badly, we think, oh, poor me, the father hates me. What we should be saying, rather, is, Praise God, I have a father who cares enough for me uh, to discipline me in love. Secondly, uh, again, we're to submit to suffering out of reverence to God. Verse 9, how much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? When we submit out of reverence to God, we're simply following the, in the steps of Jesus, who did just that. He submitted to his heavenly Father. Hebrews 5, 7. During his suffering, he prayed and was heard because of his reverent submission. Matthew Henry comments, uh, Here he has left us an example that we should learn by all our afflictions a humble obedience to the will of God. We need affliction to teach us submission to submit to God. Recognize uh, suffering as having a purpose. Remember, the devil wants you to think that there's no purpose to your, your hardship, that 
done uh, that frightening uh, diagnosis from, from uh, the hospital. Uh, he wants you to think it's, it's either completely absurd or it's a mark of God's you know, punishment and hatred. But for God's children, suffering is purposeful, and so therefore we should ask the right questions. We should be asking the questions, what is this teaching me about God's fatherly care? And our problem is often that we don't ask the right questions. We're not asking the questions that we should, uh, we should properly ask. Uh, so, the car uh, begins to, to bump along instead of driving smoothly, and we say, what did these idiots do to the car when I had it in for its service? We ask that question. Instead of asking the right question, did I put diesel in instead of petrol when I filled it up at the pumps? Uh, that's the profitable question that we're likely one to bring about an answer. And when we're going through difficult times, we often ask the wrong questions. You know, is God punishing me because he hates me? What's not. Instead of asking the right questions, what blessing is God bringing about in my life? What is that blessing? Well, uh, the, the letter tells us that all the hard things that we can endure are in order that we might uh, gain a, a harvest of righteousness and peace. Harvest of righteousness and peace. So, in other words... Uh, God wants to instill in you righteousness. He wants you to be more godly, more like Jesus, and wants to bring about peace in your life. These are lovely fruits of discipline. How does God do that? He does that in a number of ways. These are only some of the ways in which hard stuff brings about good things in our lives. It may be, first of all, to show the seriousness of sin in our lives. Uh, when we do something wrong, God brings in devastating consequences to show us how dreadful sin is that we might avoid it. So, for example, when David committed adultery, King David committed adultery, uh, he was forgiven, yes, but there were really serious consequences. And Nathan the prophet came to David and told David that because he had sinned, you know, he would still enjoy God's favour, but there were consequences. Uh, he was going to be continually at war, and the child that would be born to Bathsheba uh, was going to die. That can be one of, of the ways in which uh, we're helped. We're, 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 we're warned against sin. We're, see, we're shown how, how serious it is. It helps us to trust in God and not in ourselves. Uh, the Lord placed Paul under great pressure uh, so that he despaired even of life, he says. And the reason uh, was, Paul said, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And there's this interesting uh, thing that Paul tells us about himself. He said that he had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what this thorn in the flesh was, but it was some kind of an illness that Paul had. And Paul did the right thing. He, he prayed to God and he asked God to heal him. And God said no to Paul's prayer. He didn't heal him. And Paul learned from that uh, the lesson uh, 
to trust in God's strength. The lesson he picked up was that my strength is made perfect in weakness. That God's grace is enough for us. So when we go through hard times, it can help us to trust in God. It produces perseverance. Perseverance is simply the ability to keep on keeping on. And one of the one of the deficiencies in modern Christians is that they're not good at keeping on keeping on. Uh, not particularly steadfast in being uh, in the place of duty. Not particularly reliable at carrying out uh, things for God. Uh, there are flushes of enthusiasm and then uh, interest is lost. And one of the things that trials and hardships do is they create a new perseverance in God's people. God's discipline, fourthly, helps us to focus on our eternal hope. Uh, you know, when things are, are falling apart all around us, uh, it does focus our minds on the future, on our inheritance. That uh, we may have trials, but they're not going to last in eternity. Uh, there's a new uh, heaven and earth ahead when all of the things that afflict us just now will, will be no more. It can help us to be more understanding of others. If somebody has got a real problem, somebody's suffering from uh, an illness or an addiction, the best person usually to help that person is somebody who has gone through the same thing themselves, who understands, who knows how, how hard it is, who doesn't make light of that. And one of the reasons that we, we have trials is that we're able to uh, comfort others with the comfort God gives to us in our suffering. Just uh, a week ago, the Free Church uh, lost a real giant uh, of the faith, a wonderful evangelist of the good news, uh, Kenny MacDonald, a son of Sky. A man who had a very, very interesting uh, career. He was very talented at football. He, he, was, um, he played for, for Scotland at an amateur level. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur wanted to, to sign him up. Uh, he went into the ministry late. Uh, he was nearly 50 when he began his ministry. And he had a very productive ministry in Roskine, in Easter Ross north of Inverness. But Kenny MacDonald's life was marked by significant suffering. And uh, the, the girl that is in the picture here is his daughter, Alison, uh, who in 1981 was, uh, she was hiking in India, the Kashmir Valley. She was with another girl. She went out one day on her own and she never came back. Disappeared without trace. And her father, Kenny, was convinced that she was still alive. And he probably spent thousands of thousands of pounds on trips uh, going to India uh, to try to find Alice and his daughter. And he was always willing to, since uh, particularly like uh, being involved in, in uh, publicity, but when there was an opportunity to publicize uh, his missing daughter, Alison, uh, he was ready to take that. Alison's still never been found. Uh, 
he lived the rest of these years, these 36 years, uh, with this gnawing heart that Alison was somewhere out there, but uh, she had not been restored. And then the other thing that he suffered was uh, in the, the 1990s, he began to lose his sight and the doctors diagnosed multiple sclerosis, which is a kind of wasting condition. And uh, Kenny lived with great weakness. And yet throughout that, that weakness, that deteriorating health, uh, that deep-seated sorrow at the loss of Alison, there was a compassion, uh, there was a brightness to his ministry. Uh, his ministry seemed to be enhanced by his experiences. Uh, this is what uh, Donald McLeod uh, said in his appreciation. While we can never know why God permits some of his children to endure such pain, there can be no doubt that the publicity surrounding Kenny's experience, and particularly the way he dealt with it, gave a new aura to his ministry. So there was a purpose behind uh, our late brother's affliction. God used that purpose to make him the man he was, the minister of the gospel he was. Sometimes our, our problem is we don't know what's going on. We just can't tell at the time. We used to do this with our, our sheep in disguise before we started injecting them. In the autumn, you would get the, the sheep together and uh, they needed to be dipped uh, in water that had insecticide added to it. And you did that because uh, there were mites, like sheep scab and lice that did all kinds of horrid things to the sheep. If you didn't do this, then uh, the sheep would become ill and they were so irritated by what was going on, some of them would die unless you, you dealt with it. So you got the sheep rounded up and you put them uh, into a narrow, uh, between uh, two fences, until they came to this tank that was filled with water, which became, as the day went on, more and more dirty. And of course, they didn't particularly want to go into the ditch, and so they had to be forced into it. And when they hit the water, they started uh, kicking out and trying to, to swim out, and trying to get out the other end of the dipper. But you had to make sure that they stayed under for a full minute, a full 60 seconds, and that sounded like a long time. But for a sheep that's wondering what on earth is happening, I've been drowned here. It's a long, long time. And just as they were coming out the other end, he would take a stick and he would push them back in. So they went back under the water of the dip again, so it went right over their head. Sometimes it's like that with us. We're going through this terrible experience and it feels away dry. And the worst of it is we don't know what's going on. We don't know what the purpose is. We can't see that there is actually a good purpose in mind. And then just as it seems we're coming out through the other end, Wash back in. We go under again. And you know when that happens, what we have to remember is that in all of our trials, there is a good shepherd who is a good father. 
And he's doing this for our good. Even although we don't understand it at the time, though we're deeply disappointed that we had to go back in and under, God is in control. He loves you. He cares for you. And you have to remember that precious truth. The Father himself loves you. May God bless his work.